Uh, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for today and thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that you would speak to us things that we need to hear, things that we would be glad for in eternity. And so I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are talking about the message this morning, continuing our series in 2 Timothy. Are we living in the last days? I mean, people ask that question. Are we living in the last days? So we're going to look at that this morning. And, and that we are, how then do we, we live? How do we survive the last days here? At the very end of his life, I'm going to put a scripture on the screen in just a minute here. But Paul was inspired by God to write these letters to Timothy, who he was coaching and mentoring and helping there. And he writes these letters inspired by God, First and Second Timothy. We're looking at Second Timothy here. But this letter was different. This letter was different because he knew the end was near. Paul had this sense hanging over him that this is going to be the last letter that I ever write. These are going to be the last words that I ever write, that this is it. And there was a, a sense of finality about him. And he wrote these words in his last lecture to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, if you want to look at the screen. It says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I want you to see this here, that there's a, a little old Jewish man who's bent over in a, in a dungeon, and he writes his very last words. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, keep pouring. A bent over old man in a dungeon is saying, keep pouring. And the message today, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know how old you are. I don't know what season of life you're in or what you're facing. But keep pouring. The message here is is that wherever you're at, there are those around you they need to be poured into. There's another generation that needs to be poured into. There are kids and grandkids that need to be poured into. There are people that know less about Jesus than you do that need to be poured into. Think about who God wants you to pour into. Paul, at the very end of his life, says, I am being poured out. He's still there continuing to pour out his life in the, in the final twilight of his life there. So what we're going to look at today is, are we living in the last days? We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and what characterizes the last days. How do you know that you're in the last days? What does that look like? And so what defines and what are the distinguishing characteristics? What are the diagnostic indicators of the last day? So, Paul here in prison is going to lose his life soon. He's not pumping sunshine at Timothy. He's going to give him some reality. He's not going to hype him about, about this future. No, he's going to tell him the truth. He's going to tell us the truth here. So watch this in verse 1, looking at the screens. But know this, that perilous times are going to happen in the last days. So don't be surprised by what's happening then or now. You say, well, what is the last days? The last day is really the time between the first and the second uh, coming of Christ, between his resurrection and his second coming. So we've been living in the last days. But this really is talking about the last days of the last days here. 
And so how do we know what that looks like? Well, he's going to describe that for us in exquisite detail. Going to give us almost 20 markers of the last days here. So he says, know this. In other words, be reminded of this. Have this certainty in your mind here, this reality that difficult times are coming. Perilous times. Has the idea of this, that there are troubling times that are coming. Is anybody troubled by the time in which we live? Are you troubled by that? When you look at the culture, are you troubled? It says there will be troubling times. Times that are, that are difficult, that are hard to bear, that are stressful. Stormy times here. It says difficult times where, yes, there's always been trouble, but the trouble is going to intensify. In fact, this is what it means in the original classical Greek language. This is what it means. Look at this picture. It means of, of like uh, perilous means like savage, like a beast there, a violent beast. So it says the culture is going to get like what is depicted there, a savage beast. It also means this in the classical Greek. It also means there will be stormy times, like an ocean that is that is turbulent and, uh, and, and, and pushing you every which way there. So, so there are stormy, violent, difficult, troublesome time. That's going to be the climate. That's going to be the atmosphere which dominates the last days there. And so it's the same word used in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, when there are two demon-possessed men, the Gadarene, the demonic Gadarenes. And so, and there they are, and people would try to come by where they were. It says, and that they were so violent that people were afraid, they were fearful to go by. That word violent is perilous. It says, that's what it's going to be like in the last days there. It says, know this. There's going to be this downward spiral of culture. So who would agree with me that we're living in perilous times, that we're living in difficult times, hard times? About a third of you there. So, uh, so in your notes here, it says perilous times are not going to go away. They're not going to go away here. Perilous times are unavoidable. I want to just take a moment and unpack this here because I don't know about you, but I'm troubled by so many things happening. I was going to give a little window, some of the things that I find troubling that are happening in culture today. Uh, and so perilous, troublesome, I think it describes our culture so well today. Is anybody troubled? Is anybody troubled by the absolute massive manipulation of language, of language to steer our culture in a downward spiral? By that I mean that if you don't agree, you're intolerant and you're a bigot if you, if you disagree uh, with them. Or you are censored if you have a healthy and honest opposing view. Does that, does that trouble anyone? Does that bother anyone there? What about, I'm troubled by this. I'm troubled by, there's a massive agenda with our children now to tell them that you are whatever you want to be every day that you wake up. And I get it, there are gender issues and some confusion, but really like you are whatever gender you want to be every day, and and it is going to be religious abuse for parents if they want to like uh, speak into that. Now, that's troubling to me. The sex education thing, uh, if you've ever heard about it, it's very troubling. So there's a massive push to like whatever truth you want to have. It's your truth, my truth, our truth. And so like there's no true truth anymore here. And so there are so many things in culture that, that they're troublesome. We could go on and on about that. But a list of indicators here are given about the human condition. And the first one is 
this here. If you look in your notes there, it says this. People will be living in a selfie generation. It'll be dominated by that. Watch this. It's going to be dominated by, and I get it. People have always been obsessed. I get that. But there is a historically unprecedented level of self-obsession that I think is being encouraged by culture. And so people, it says here, will be lovers of themselves. The love of self, it's always been out there. I mean, I love myself. You love yourself. And we don't need seminars or blogs to learn how to, to love ourselves. That comes naturally. But, but, but. It seems like in our current generation, there has never been such a deliberate and focused effort there to teach a culture to love themselves, to be obsessed with themselves there. And so it is more intense. It is more prevalent here in the modern day, really in these last days. People will be lovers of themselves. How, how true is that? A life that is completely centered in itself, where it is all about me all the time. And so, like, where should we land with that? I mean, of course, we're, we're not to hate ourselves, we hate our sin, but, but we're to love, to love ourselves. But where should we land with that, with this, this overemphasis on that? Well, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he said this. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly. Think soberly. I'm a treasured, you're treasured and preciously loved by God. But also you were born twisted from the womb. Think soberly of yourself there. Sometimes you need to keep a little stranglehold on your own depravity there. So says so secondly, what would dominate the age, what would dominate the age is that people would be lovers of money. I get it, we've always loved money, of course, there. But money has become such a god in our culture here where we chase after it and we compromise for it and it's all about the big green. And as a, as a culture becoming so overly fixated and worshiping money there, people will be lovers of money. And then he says here, this is how you'll know the last days that we're going to love money. But then he says also, we'll be, the culture will be so boastful uh, where what that means is we're boasting about our accomplishments, boasting about who we are and what we've done. In the original language, it means this. It means to claim to have what I really don't have, to claim to be who I really am not, to get you to think I'm bigger really than I am and I'm better off than I am and pretending to be more than I am. That would dominate in the age of the last days there. That we would be proud. Now, this is speaking not just on the outside, but in the heart of hearts. Pride there where you can have a facade of humility. You can have kind of fake humility there, a veneer of humility. But this is speaking in the heart of hearts that there is just pride there that comes out in various expressions. And so, but it's, but it's uh, pride in the heart there. And then he talks about our speech and the culture of the last days, that the speech will grow more abusive. That speech would be injurious, whether, and we would hurt one another in word and in deed there. And the Bible says that there's life and death in the power of your tongue. But people would use their tongues in the last days with horribly abusive words. Just think about that. Think about your own life. Perhaps you've experienced that or you've done that. It says, and I love this one here, think about this, God reveals to Paul there in the dungeon a future time when families would be broken. He says, disobedient to parents. says that there will come a time when in history we'll see the most rebellious generation 
forever. That time is coming in the last days there, where there will be no respect for authority, where children just won't listen to their parents, that they'll be disobedient there, and so full of attitude. You know, I just want to give a shout out to the teachers here, because you have to deal with this, these teachers here, if you're a teacher. And yeah, give them a big shout out. And teachers have to deal with this here. And I just want to salute you that, uh, because I think most of us, like, we couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't do that. I, I don't know that I could deal with all the attitudes. I would be like, man, get over here and sit your butt down. I mean, they would send me to the principal's office. And so, uh, but I just want to give you a salute for, for all that you have to, to deal with. But then it talks about the unwords ungrateful, unthankful, unholy here. And so it says ungrateful. That means it's devoid of any kind of attitude of, of gratitude there, where there's no space to appreciate others. My son Jordan, who goes to Point Loma Nazarene University, was doing this outreach every week, and he was telling me about it. It was one of his classes there, that the part of a class. And so he's telling me about feeding the homeless there in San Diego. I said, Jordan, what was that like? He says, well, Dad, you wouldn't believe it. He said, I'm going to give them food, and they're getting mad at me for the kind of food that I'm giving them. He said, I'm just trying to be nice and make them happy. And give them. they're like, that's not enough food. And I want that over there. And he says, Dad, so I'm just, I'm breaking the rules, Dad. He said, there were rules. I'm breaking the rules to, to, to help these homeless people. But they were full of, of, uh, of no gratitude. I mean, it's all free. And they're complaining about how much free stuff they're getting. Or they wanted other free stuff. I think that's a real window of, of what this is talking about here, not being grateful. And wherever you are in life here, I just want to say this. And that sometimes life doesn't go as well as you want. Sometimes you face situations where you're not clicking in all places. But we need to learn to have gratitude. We need to learn to be thankful. Paul said, I have learned, learned, in whatever state that I am, okay, to be thankful. And so this is something that we learned. But not so with the last day's generation. Not so with our culture there. They will be ungrateful and unthankful. It says unholy, missing anything that is holy. With regard to holiness, like blow that off there without love. It's unloving, but it means this, that there is a loss of love for those you should love most. God showed Paul the day is coming in the last days when people won't love those whom they should love the most. Parents with children or children with parents. And then he says they'll be unforgiving. Want to receive forgiveness but not give forgiveness. What will be missing in the last days is forgiveness here. And so, and then this comes to uh, expression in our speech. It says they'll be slanderous, false accusing, where we attack people, attack their reputation, their, their character. What a painful thing it is to be on the receiving end of slander where someone falsely accuses you. And then this one here, I need to talk about this one right here. I need to talk about this one, and that is without self-control. The dominant characteristic of an end times is people are going to be unable to be tamed. People are going to have no restraints. So people are going to have no inhibitions. People are going to have no boundaries. They're going to be ungovernable. That's going to be a sign of the end times here. And I want to I say this. A lot of people are going to have tragic things happen to them because, 
because they have no self-control. I also want to say this here. I want to say this in our relationships. I want to lean in on this a little bit. In relationships, those that maybe are not married, if you're dating or considering a relationship, I want to say this for the ladies here in the the house. This is what I want to say. Is that if you date or you're in a relationship with a guy that has no self-control, you have a problem. You have a problem because think about where that relationship may go. That relationship may go, if you lead to marriage and he has no self-control, what's that going to look like down the road? And for the guys here, I want to say this. Young guys, if you're in relationships, what I want to say is this too. If you don't have any self-control, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. And so the Bible says that, that the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits is self-control. So when you walk with God, he helps you to develop self-control where there are, are limits. And so uh, anyway, so may I continue? You enjoying this here? If I may continue, say, roll, ride on rod. Thank you for encouraging me. So says more here that's going to be brutal. The end days are going to be, people are going to be brutal. They're going to be savage. They're going to be vicious and violent. They're going to be road rage in the last days here. It means that we are going to be inhumane to humans is what this means. Not lovers of good. Even twisting that which is good and making it look like evil, making evil look like good. Not loving anything that is good and so gravitating toward that which is not good. And then it says treacherous or like being a traitor, rash or, or reckless here. And what that means then is, is it to force the issue, just recklessly forcing the issues there, circumventing authority. Even though we're warned, hey, don't go down that road, don't do that. Hey, you can't go there. Forcing a reckless behavior, signs of the end times. And then to be conceited, just so full of yourself, thinking that you're a bag of chips and and more than that. And the reality is you're not even the air in the bag. You know what I'm talking about. So impressed with your own opinion. So full of yourself, so conceited there. And so this would dominate, so puffed up. Can't even see how conceited that, that people are. And then it says this, from a moral perspective, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Again, this isn't something new, but think about this. This is nothing new. People have always been lovers of pleasure, but here's what is new. Is that people now can finance their pleasure. We've never been so able as a culture to afford our pleasures as we can now. And so when people have the choice of, should I please God or should I just please myself? It's a a no-brainer for culture and that I'll just please myself. And so, but think about this. Really, how are you designed by God and how how are you made by God? How are you wired up to experience ultimate pleasure? It was through knowing him. The Bible says in Uh, In Psalm 16, at your right hand, nearness to you, relationship with you, our pleasure is forevermore. So we don't have to choose between can I have pleasure or can I have God. You can have both. When you go for God, you get pleasures. There are pleasures forevermore. And so we live in spiritual times. And in your notes, here is the characteristic of the end times. People, what they're going to do is this. They're going to settle for a watered-down form of Christianity. Let me unpack that for you. What does it look like? 
Christianity that was dead, cold there, uh, that never touches life, is going to be very prevalent. So in the last days, there's going to be plenty of religion. There's going to be plenty of ritual. But there will be less, in your notes, relationship with the living God. Plenty of religion, plenty of ritual. But the end times is there will be less relationship with the living God. It says here, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form, watch, watch. Having a, This is what the world will look like. This is what church will look like, as that people are going to have the appearance that they are with God, having a, an appearance of godliness. But the reality is going to be that's not how it is. And so uh, what is a form of godliness? Form of godliness, a person could be religious. They can go to church there. They may even be impressive. You may even look at them and think like, wow, look at that, that person. They may be able to quote scripture. They may be active in church. They may even be eloquent communicators, preachers, or whatever. But they're a stranger to God's life-transforming power there. And so in the last days then, real godliness changes your life. The power of God changes your life, changes your heart, stirs you to want to know God here. And so, but the church will be filled with people that attend church and outwardly look religious. Okay. And they may be committed. They may be devoted. They may see them on Sunday. But as a friend from uh, Texas told me, Rod, they live like hell on Monday. And so uh, where there's no real life, I'm not saying everybody does that. He said that was, I said, hey, how is church in Texas? He said, Rod, you wouldn't believe it. Everybody goes to church in Texas on Sunday. And then he paused for a moment and he was like, felt a little bit uncomfortable. I said, and? He says, and they live like hell on Monday. And so, but, so, this is talking about that they deny the power that there's no real substance. There's no, uh, just kind of an empty shell. There's no li- real life ongoing transformation there. Almost a pretend form. Almost where there, there, there's no sense of God's presence or power in a person's life. There's a disconnect there between what they do in their public life and what is real in their private life there. And so they appear godly but they don't have God's power influencing and transforming their life there. And so, and I want to I I warn us, because it's very easy living in this culture where this is true, very easy in your notes, where we're all in danger of entering into really that same thing, empty religion, having a form of an, or an appearance without God's power. Very easy to slip into that, to deny his power, his life changing power, power to guide you, power to transform you, power to overcome sin. That can be devoid. It says that's going to be devoid in the, in the end, in the last days there. And so continuing here, here's an example of that, an example of form without the power. Here's the example, verse 6. They're the kind, here's what they would look like, who worm their way into homes. In that culture, the culture was, Uh, Women were at home much more than today. Wormed their way into homes and gained control over vulnerable women who are loaded down with sins. In other words, who are overwhelmed maybe by their past there and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. So in ancient culture, what it's saying is that there would be these creepy men, could be creepy from the church, 
they would infiltrate, worm their way in, and take advantage of certain people uh, who they could package what they were saying to take advantage of them. So that's an example of that. And then verse 7. This is just a fascinating phrase. Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. Always learning, always listening to the blogs, always reading, always listening to the podcasts, always researching, but never being able to come to a knowledge of the truth. How interesting is that? And so true truth, God's truth that is there, which is true whether you believe it or not. That's true truth here. And so the last days, uh, the alarm is being sounded that people won't know truth. People won't know truth there. And so I want to encourage us here that you build your lives on a foundation that is true, God's truth, truth that is true whether people believe it or not. It is eternal truth. It is God's truth. And though the culture change, God's truth never changes. And so build your life on that. And that's why we do so many things that we do all the Bible studies, all the men's groups and women's groups and youth groups is to help us in Sundays is to help us build our lives on truth. So here it is, perilous people in the last days. Here's an example, verse 8. Just as Janies and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They're men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. So Paul says this to Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, let me just remind you about these two jokers. These two jokers there that opposed Moses when he was before Pharaoh, and they performed miracles, and there were some legit miracles, uh, kind of a cultish type miracles there in the Old Testament there in Exodus. And that wasn't a sleight of hand. It was a real deal, but the, the time came and God said, that's it, you're done. And the, and the point is, is that, even then, they oppose the truth like people today will oppose the truth. So all of that to say this. That's the last day's culture. Now what are we going to do? Now how are we going to survive? How are you going to position yourself in light of that? In the last days, perilous, troublesome, difficult, hard, vicious days are going to come, but what are you going to do? I'm going to take the rest of our time this morning and next week to answer that question. So look with me on the screen here. Here's how you survive living in the last days. Paul pivots here completely, stops talking about uh, the, the last days, and now he points to Timothy and says, Timothy, here's how you're going to make it. Look at verse 10. But you, Timothy, you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is, and you know my faith and my patience and my love and my endurance, and you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured, and you know all about how I persecuted, I was persecuted in Antioch and Ilonium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. So it says, Timothy, you know all the stuff that I've gone through. You were you in Lystra there when I was stoned, all that I have suffered here. And Timothy, I've gone through hell, God is with me. God helped me through it. But how do you survive difficult times? How do you survive the last days? I want to suggest to you number one is right here. And that is you have to have the right relationships. 
You have to have the right relationships. Would Timothy make it without this relationship? I mean, what would his future be, as pastor there in Ephesus, without this relationship? I want to submit to you that you need community. We need community. We need relationship. Watch what happens here. They have this very close relationship, which the wording of it you can see there implies this close, intimate relationship. It wasn't distant or far away. They were very close. It's four times, you know, Timothy, you know, you know, you know, you saw my life there. You carefully noted my life, and you are patterning your life after my life. You see, he had this tremendous example in, in Paul there who was a model for him. And you know your life. Think about your own life. Think about the people that have influenced you. You are marked by their example. You are marked by by models. You are marked by mentors. And Timothy here, he made it in that culture because of the relationship that he had with Paul. What about you? What, What relationships are we intentionally building to help us make it in this life? But out of all of them, the Lord delivered me, and God always rescues us. And so lastly, he says this in verse 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so this is not one of those verses that ends up on your refrigerator. The promise of persecution. The promise of persecution. In other words, if you're a Christ follower, you have to go through some stuff. You'll just go through things. There will be problems, he's saying. And so it will point you back to Jesus. It will help you grow. You'll be better for it. But um, you will not be the person that you could be unless you go through some persecution is what he's saying here. And so I want to wrap it up this way. We looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I looked at this long list, which really is kind of a depressing list to have to go through it. Almost 20 things there. And you look at the list and you just think like, wow, that, that, sounds, that, sounds, kind of, that sounds kind of bad, what, it, what the culture is going to be like. But I have to admit, as I was going through the list and looking at the list, I realized I am guilty. I am guilty of many of these things. I am guilty of being a lover of self. I've been guilty at some points of being a lover of money. I've been guilty of being boastful or proud. I mean, I've been disobedient. I've been ungrateful and I've been unthankful. I've been unloving at times. I've been unforgiving at times there. I have been that. I have been rash In my younger days, I don't feel now, but in my younger days, I was conceited. Uh, uh, There have been seasons where I loved pleasure and chose that over God. I I have been this. And what about you? And and what do we do moving forward in the last days? I want to leave us with the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, and it says this. It says, and that's what I just described and more, and that is what... That is what you were. You were that. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You're set apart by God and you're you're justified 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that's what you are now. That's what you were, but you're washed and sanctified and justified. So be encouraged that God has purified you and cleansed you, and you've been set apart, and you've been been pardoned from your sin, and you've been accepted by God here. And so we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and, and made new and, and been washed. And so and done what only God could do and where he's gone, where only he could go in our lives here. And so that is the gospel that God came to our world. When we were without hope, God came for us. And so what a wonderful day it is to know him. And so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to pray over you, and then we'll close. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your mercy is new every morning. Thank you that you wash over us. Thank you that you cause your face of grace to shine upon us. Thank you that you're gracious to us. Thank you, Lord, that that there is no one like you. Lord, that you give us joy and peace and your righteousness, and you wash away our sin, and only the blood of Jesus can do that. And you are infinitely more marvelous than we could ever know. And so we thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that in the last days you give us hope. You give us mentors. You give us your script, your word. You give us hope. In Jesus' name.